All right, you may be seated if you'd open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We continue our series of messages where we are working our way through the book of Ephesians. If you're like me, I can't really believe that the holiday season is upon us already. But my favorite time of the year is from the end of October until the middle of January. There's several reasons for that. Number one, because the weather is perfect in Texas this time of year. Now, I know some of you think it's cold today, but uh, I would rather have this than the 100-degree weather of July any day of any time, so I'm okay with this. Secondly, I like this time of year because it smells good. I mean, you have the smell of footballs in the air, and there's pumpkin pie, and turkey and dressing, and chestnuts roasting on the open fire, and Jack Frost nipping at your heels, is that right? Yeah. Nose, nose, I'm sorry, I always get my songs wrong. But And then there's, it's also kind of a centering time. Uh, there's times built into the holiday season where we slow down, you center yourself, focus on goals, focus on who you are both in your own physical life as well as your spiritual life. But the problem for many is that whenever you think of the holiday seasons, it just brings to you more stuff. Stuff to buy, stuff to eat, stuff to deal with, stuff to go to. We stuff ourselves, and we think about the holiday season, and it's just a lot of stuff. And because of that, it brings a lot of stress to us, and many of us have very full lives but empty souls. And so I have this question that I think we have to wrestle with at Thanksgiving season, and that is, Where does true gratitude come from? And it's an important question because if you get the source of gratitude wrong, then ultimately the results will be wrong as well. Now, for a lot of us, whenever we think about the source of our gratitude, we think about people. And so I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my friends. I'm thankful for my church. And and certainly there's special people that God brings into our lives that we love. Uh, But at the same time, if people are the primary source of our gratitude, we're going to be in trouble because people are kind of like these retaining ponds that are all around our community. Uh, They're there sometimes and they're gone sometimes. People come into and out of our lives. And though we should be grateful for those dear people in our lives, at the same time, they do not make a great source for our gratitude. Sometimes we're thankful for things, and we think that things are what is going to generate gratitude in my life. And so we're thankful for our house, thankful for a car that runs or for uh, food, water, shelter, those type of things. But again, the problem is that all these things are temporary. You think about that shirt that you bought five years ago that whenever you wore it thought made you look really good. And now you're giving it to goodwill. I mean, mean, things are temporary. They come into our lives. They go out of our lives. And so if things are the generator of gratitude for you, you're ultimately going to have disappointing results. I would submit to you that true gratitude comes from God and is expressed to God. 
that ultimately it is God that brings the people into our lives. It is God that brings the blessings into our lives. And so if we want to truly celebrate Thanksgiving and if we want to truly be grateful, then we have to learn to recognize God as the provider of those things in our life, those people in our life, and bring gratitude to God. And for those of us who are Christians, the depths of gratitude are experienced through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news. It's the story of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, as I am, the depths of our gratitude will be found in Him and through Him. If you have your Bible, we're going to work through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 today. A pretty simple message. I'm going to frame it around three reasons that I am thankful to God for my salvation. If you'll look with me in verse 1, the Scriptures say, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. And we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also." The first reason that I give thanks to God for my salvation is because it hasn't always been this way. If we were to hop in my SUV and drive about 240 miles south, then we would begin to get close to the Texas A&M campus. But we would not continue going that way. We would veer east, and eventually we would arrive at 3872 FM 350. It's a city in a city called Livingston, Texas. And there is Lake Livingston to the south and Davy Crockett National Forest to the north. There is a gray building called the Polunsky Unit. Inside the Polunsky Unit live 246 men. They live together in a place that we call Death Row. Each of these men have been found guilty of trespasses and sins against the laws of the United States. And because of those trespasses, they have heard that eerie sentence of death. Before spring gives way to summer, five of those men will take what is commonly referred to as the dead man walking march to their execution. Well, you may never have imagined yourself there. But there was a time in your life before you were a believer in Jesus Christ when you too were a dead man walking. The scriptures describe it there in Ephesians chapter 2 as you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You had broken the laws of God. You have fallen short of God's glorious standard. And so in your future, were both physical death and spiritual death. You had a certain death sentence awaiting you, and you walked according to the ways of the world, the Bible says, the ways of the world signifying those things which are temporal, that do not last for all eternity, those things which are 
ruled by the flesh, which is here today and rots tomorrow. We were ruled by money, power, things, the pursuit of pleasure. But you were not alone. The Scriptures say that we all, everybody, previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. So no one is exempt. No one is born a believer. There was a time, according to the Bible here in Ephesians 2, where we were all children under wrath. But then God intervened into our scene so that we might be redeemed. Verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with the Messiah. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Now catch the imagery here. The Apostle Paul has just painted this dark, dim picture that that we have a death sentence, that we have been found guilty of our transgressions against God. But then in verse 4, God does something that only He can do. Because He is rich in mercy and because He is motivated by a great love that He has for us, He made us alive with the Messiah. That's Jesus. Even though we were dead in trespasses. And you're saved by grace. Verse 6 says, Together with Christ Jesus, He also raised us up and seated us in the heavens so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. The second reason that I'm grateful to God for my salvation is because my salvation is a gift of grace. It's something that is unearned. The most annoying guy on social media is the guy who posts 15 times a day. You just want to say to him, get a life, okay? Do something other than posting 15 times a day. But there's the second most annoying guy on social media, And that is the guy that is so romantic that he makes the rest of us men look like losers. Uh, He is a very bothersome creature. And his wife is always bragging about how romantic he is and shares his poems with the whole world on Facebook. And the rest of us are looking at it going, hey, yeah, you make me look really good, don't you? And the other ladies are like, oh, he's so sweet and all that kind of stuff. But... You know, whenever I demonstrate my love for my wife, Stacy, it usually starts with me stopping by Kroger. And there I, I buy some flowers, and usually the ones that are a little bit on sale. And I buy, I buy a card, and then I buy her a box of hot tamales candy, you know. Hey, when you've been married 18 years, you just get her what she wants, you know, and she likes a box of hot tamales candy. And so it's a feeble demonstration, I know, but at least I'm trying. I'm putting forth an effort. Well, our demonstrations of love are absolutely feeble 
compared to God's demonstration of love. The Scriptures say that God, motivated by His great love for us, in Romans it talks about God demonstrated His love in this way, that He sent His Son, Bethlehem and Calvary and the empty tomb are extravagant demonstrations of the love of God towards you and towards me. And if you ever doubt the love of God towards you, you need to look to Bethlehem. You need to look to Calvary. You need to look to the empty tomb because in those moments, God magnificently demonstrated the fact that He loves you dearly. And the Scriptures say He made us alive in Christ, even though we were dead in our sins, even though we had this certain death sentence awaiting us that we deserved because of our sins, we were made alive in Christ. He says we're saved by grace. Salvation is gift-wrapped by three amazing words here, the first being grace. Now, when it comes to that word grace that we like to sing about, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved uh, me. Some just stopped on wretch and others went the full way, way, like me, you know. The amazing grace that saves a wretch like me. We, We need to be careful not to thingify grace in your understanding of it. The natural default of man when it comes to theology is always to take Christianity, which is grace-based, and turn it into a works-based system. Because if you can turn it into a works-based system, then it's much more measurable. It becomes very black and white. It also allows you to exalt yourself above others because you can point to the things that you do and you can say, well, God loves me because of these things that I do, and he loves me more than you because you're the wretch that's talked about in the song. And so that's our natural inclination is to take grace and thingify it so that whenever you do things that are good, God gives you chips of grace, and whenever you do things that are bad, then God takes away those chips of grace. Thingifying grace always leads to a works-based faith. But the passage here says that our salvation is not of works so that none of us can boast. None of us can say, hey, look at how great I am. Grace is undeserved favor from God. God has extended to us something that you and I do not deserve. How has God extended His grace? Well, when He chooses to reveal Himself to us, the gospel has been brought near. That's an extension of God's grace. There's nothing that mandates God having to reveal Himself to us. But he has gone out of his way so that he himself, his purposes and his ways may be known by us. God's active presence in our life is an act of grace. He extends to us himself for a relationship so that the almighty God who creates everything also says, call me father. Our salvation is an act of grace. Grace is undeserved. It's something that God chose to do. Paul also speaks of the word saved. For by grace are you 
saved. Now, whenever we talk about that word saved, it actually has a past, present, and a future aspect to it. In the past, I was saved from the guilt of my sins. Whenever I was a six-year-old boy, I understood the message of the gospel. And so in December of 1977, I knelt beside my bed with my father there beside me, and I prayed what we call the sinner's prayer. I asked God to forgive me of my sins. I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, and I asked God to save me. And that is the night that I point to as the day of my salvation. On that day, I was pronounced not guilty. I was justified. I was made alive in Christ. And so if you were to ask me, have you ever been saved? I would point back to that day and say that was the day that I was saved. Now, I need to ask you this question. Has there ever been a time in your life whenever you were saved? that you can point back to and say, that was the moment where the gospel had come near to me, the Holy Spirit convicted me, I asked God to forgive me of my sins, and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. That day of salvation. But we can also understand salvation in a present tense. I am being saved from the power of sin. You see, whenever you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the Scriptures talk about the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And because the Holy Spirit indwells us, He liberates us. He frees us from the bondage of the flesh. The flesh meaning the temporal. You see, in your sinful condition, you can only live according to the flesh. You don't have a spiritual depth about you. So when it comes to something like Thanksgiving, you're thankful for those things which are temporal, for people and things and stuff. But whenever you have been made alive in the Spirit, you now have spiritual depth about you, and you become thankful for those things which are deeper, those things which are from God. And the Holy Spirit starts empowering you to live beyond the handcuffs of the flesh and to live in what the Scriptures call the Spirit so that we hear the voice of God and we follow the voice of God and God begins doing a recreation within us so that the fruit of the Spirit begins being evident within our life. And when people see your life, they see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, and they begin to understand that God is at work within you. If you want to measure someone's spiritual maturity, you see whether or not the fruit of the Spirit is alive within their life. I have been saved from the guilt of my sins, and through the Holy Spirit of God, I am being saved from the power of sin that was over my life. And in the future, I will be saved from the presence of sin. Within our understanding of Scripture, there is coming a day. There is coming a day where we stand face to face with Jesus. That day might be in heaven. That day might be when Jesus comes again. But whenever Jesus comes again, the shalom of creation that was fractured by sin will be restored. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And this sin-stained world that we live in today will be redeemed and we will live in the presence of our Lord for all eternity beyond the presence of sin. I have been saved. I am being saved. I will be saved. Well, he says we are saved by grace through faith. Now, sometimes people think that faith is a work. 
Faith is not a work. Faith is a surrendering. When we talk about faith, we're talking about trusting in God, surrendering to God. So you surrender to God as Savior, as Lord. Uh, In your life's circumstances, there are times where you place your faith in God and you're surrendering to God in your circumstances. We often mistake faith for knowledge. I know the Bible really well. I believe God exists, preacher. I do. I believe Jesus is a son. I believe Christmas is on December 25th. That's the Lord's birthday. And so we have these facts that we know about God. But faith is more than just believing facts about God. Faith is believing in Jesus as Lord. It's about you surrendering to God. Okay, so you believe these facts about God. That's great. But have you ever actually surrendered to God? Have you placed yourself trusted in Him? And so it it leads to that question, has there been that time in your own life where you believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior, where you moved beyond simply facts or things that you believe about Jesus and you actually placed your faith in Him as Savior and Lord? And, And if there hasn't been that time, then I really hope that today will be that day in your life. I hope that you'll come see me, talk to me. If I'm not available for whatever reason, talk to your life group teacher. Talk to somebody that you know walks with the Lord and say, today, I want today to be the day that I believe in Christ. Now, there's a third reason why I'm thankful to God, and that is because my salvation brings purpose to my life. If you look at verse 10, the Scriptures say, For we are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Do you realize this, that you are God's custom creation? That before you were ever born, God designed your life to fit into His work. And God designed you. With certain experiences, God put you in a family. God gave you certain intellectual abilities, certain talents. God gave you spiritual gifts. God gave you a personality. Some of you are extroverts. How many of you are extroverts? A few of you. How many of you are introverts? Introverts never raise their hand. (laughs) They're like, don't call on me. Please don't point me out right now. But some of us are extroverts. Some of us are introverts. But God designed you that way to fit into His plan. And as Christians, we believe that life is a gift from Almighty God. And it's because of that belief that life is a gift from God that as Christians, we must not minimize life to a mere act of nature or a personal choice, but life must be maximized as an act of God. There is not a a person here that God doesn't love. Not a person here that God doesn't have a divine plan for your life. And the desire of the Heavenly Father 
is that your life will collide with the reality of the cross, that you will bend your will to God's, placing your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and that you will come alive in Christ. And one of the most exciting journeys of life is to discover how God has specifically designed you to fulfill His specific plan for your life. Are are there those moments in your life where you feel God's pleasure and you begin to realize, I am doing something right now that God designed me to do. This is who I am. Before I was ever born, God created me so that I might fill this role within his kingdom. That is one of the most exciting journeys of life is to discover those ways that God has knit you together to be a part of his work. Without a doubt, my favorite dessert at Thanksgiving is French silk pie. Any any other French silk pie fans out here? A few? Okay. How many of you are pumpkin pie people? All right. Well, you don't know what you're missing. My suggestion to you is put down the pumpkin pie and pick up the French silk pie, okay? Here, French silk pie has that crispy crust at the bottom, and then it has this layer of decadent chocolate. And then on top of that, there's this layer of cream. And if you've got somebody, if you have somebody that really knows how to make French silk pie, okay? This is what separates the amateurs from the professionals. On top of the cream, they will put chocolate shavings, Okay, and there'll be these little shavings there, all right? And that makes the perfect pie. Uh, I love the chocolate shavings on top of the pie. And so I, I start out usually imp- eating the chocolate shavings, but I, I want to make sure that we're all clear here that that's not all I eat, okay? To, to really eat the French silk pie you have to plunge your fork in and you have to take a bite of the entire thing. You've got to eat it all. There are a couple of crusades that I am on before I leave this world, a couple of things that I I want to contribute to the world. The first is I, I want to encourage all of us to leave behind the cranberry gel. You know what I'm talking about whenever you open the can. This is the third year that I've, I've been on this cause, okay? You open the can, you put it out, and it kind of quivers on the plate, and it, you can see the rings of the can around it, you know? That stuff is just gross, okay? Do not serve that to the people that you love. You need to leave that behind and, and, and forsake it and never again even think about that cranberry gel. But now there is a second cause that I I begin today, and I hope that in the years that God gives me that I will be able to accomplish this, and I need your help on this, and that is that we commit that this Thanksgiving there will be no pie left behind. Are you with me on this? Okay, let's say it together. No pie left behind. All right, right, we're, we're together on this, all right? Make sure you hold up your end of the bargain, all right? Now, my point in all this is that when it comes to the blessings of God, often all we eat is the chocolate shavings. The chocolate shavings are good. What are you thankful for this year? I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my job. I'm thankful for the fact that the car started today. I have a roof over my head, 
and I have this meal to eat. And you should be thankful for all those things. But there's much more. You need to plunge deeper. And you need to realize that the source of all those things is God. And you need to realize that God has blessed you beyond just the temporal things that we see that are here today and gone tomorrow. But God has blessed you spiritually to the depths of your soul. And so I encourage you this Thanksgiving to swim the depths of gratitude, to jump in and plunge into the depths of gratitude and realize what a great salvation we have through Jesus Christ. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? The band's going to come. They're going to lead us in a song. I encourage you to sing with the band. During this time, some of you may want to pray. Perhaps this needs to be a centering time in your life where you align your life with what you've seen in Scripture today. It could be that today during this time of commitment that you need to make your decision to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'll be here at the front, and I would be glad to talk with you about that, what it means to be a believer in Christ. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you because you are God, and we acknowledge that. And we thank you, Lord, for the abundant blessings that are in each of our lives. Lord, forgive us for those times where all we see is the negative, and we don't realize how many blessings we do indeed have. Help us, Father, to go beyond the surface, to go deep in our gratitude, and to realize that as believers that you are the source of all blessings. And so, Father, may we respond to those blessings in a way that seeks to bring glory to your name. Thank you, Father, for our salvation. Thank you, Lord, that it is brought to us in grace. Thank you, Lord, that it forgives the past, that it brings definition to today and hope for tomorrow. And I pray, Lord, that we might live in your abundant grace. And the rich love that you have shared with us, may we in turn share with others. In Jesus' name, amen.